Welcome to Family Financial Views from University of Illinois Extension. Welcome to Family Financial Feuds. I'm Kathy Swedler with University of Illinois Extension. And today we're going to focus on kind of thinking about in a broad way, self-employment, or do you have a second gig or job? And what does that really mean when you do the deep dive into getting started or applying it? And we're really lucky today to have Jenna Smith from Extension, who's done a lot of work with Illinois Cottage Food Law. And we're going to use that as our example of how this all might work if you were thinking about that. And so Janet, go ahead and give us a little bit better introduction to yourself, please. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks, Kathy. My name is Jenna Smith. I am a nutrition and wellness educator for University of Illinois Extension, and I'm a registered dietitian. So I have the background of becoming a dietitian, working in the clinical field. So I was in the hospital setting for about five years before coming over with Extension. And I've been loving what I'm doing, especially doing a lot of work kind of more in the food safety realm of things. And so that's where this cottage food operation kind of really lies. And so we really are talking about, you know, just educating the community about food safety in general. Wonderful. And, you know, as we're looking at employment and what's happening in our country kind of post-COVID and who's finding jobs and where are they finding them, you know, it turns out that self-employed workers currently make up about 11% of employed workers in the United States. So that's a real significant number. And these numbers are coming out of the St. Louis Federal Reserve Bank, who's interested in this, particularly because we're seeing this increase in the percent of self-employed. So clearly people are finding this to be a valuable way to make money, as well as maybe meet other needs that they might have in terms of doing something that they enjoy doing. And one type of self-employed business is this cottage food movement, which I think is really quite interesting. So maybe Jenna, you could tell us a little bit when I see the words cottage food, what does that really mean? Right, right. So yeah, a lot of people really have no idea what this is. And yet really cottage food is in a lot of different states, not just the state of Illinois. But for us, you know, cottage food really refers to the Illinois cottage food law. And this was enacted back in 2012. And it is basically allowing kind of the food entrepreneurs, your your home cooks, right? The, the ones who just love to bake or love to just make different items in their home kitchens. It allows them to kind of make these items certain low risk foods and allows them to sell them to the public. And so that's really what cottage food really is. It's just selling food that you've made in your home kitchen. So cottage food industry and operation is really home-based. That's kind of one way to define it versus other ways that you might get food at a restaurant or a grocery store or something like that. Is that correct? Right. Absolutely. You know, we think about Etsy and, you know, like how you have people who are maybe doing some craft works and things like that, that they're just maybe making out of their homes and they're selling it. And it's kind of the same thought process, you know, when it comes to food, you know, you're not going to, of course, you know, show up at someone's house and sit down and eat like you would a restaurant, but we're talking about, you know, you can go to someone's house, pick up maybe a box of their homemade scones or, you know, a jar of hot sauce that they've made. Uh, and so, yeah, you can pick it up from their home or they can actually go to like a farmer's market. Sell it at the farmer's market or some kind of, you know, community festival and you can pick it up there. 
Cool. So, you know, thinking about this, I would guess that some people kind of get started on this self-employment second gig is, is like an extension of, like you mentioned, their hobby, something they enjoy doing and they get started around it. And I, I wonder if like it surprises people to find out that there are regulations about this, that there's some standards or guidelines that people have to follow, even though in their mind, it might be like, well, I have this hobby and I want to share it and maybe make a little bit of money on the side as well. So how does the cottage food law impact someone, you know, who wants to sell their food, like you said, at a farmer's market or at a winter festival or something like that? Sure. Well, you you obviously can't just, you know, show up and just start selling, right? So there's there's planning involved. And there's a few steps that, you know, you're going to have to take before you really start to sell those products. And so the law actually requires for you to, you know, first of all, make sure that you have the training, the proper training. And that's where, again, you know, as I talk about food safety, food safety is going to be really important because you are making these products in your home kitchen. There's no one around you that's like, you know, hovering over you saying, you know, wash your hands, right? So food safety is going to be really important. So the law requires, first of all, you have to complete your certified food protection managers course and exam. I teach that course as do a lot of my colleagues in extension. So certainly you can try to, you know, call your local extension office, see what kind of courses are offered near you. But if it's not an extension person that offers it, generally health departments or community colleges, they'll have this course available. So get that done ahead of time before you're, you're ever, of course, even thinking about like selling, because that's something you're going to have to have. And then you're going to need to register with the local health department. And so they will have a registration form for you to fill out. And you're going to need to think about ahead of time, what are all the products that you are going to make and sell? Because you'll need to list all of those. There are certain products that you may not be able to sell. So, you know, familiarize yourself with the law, make sure you know what you're going to sell. And if you are wanting to sell some products with maybe just a little bit higher risk in terms of food safety, there are some extra provisions in the law that you have to take. And so it'll say, you know, if you're wanting to sell, for example, some home canned salsa, and you're not using a specific USDA or cooperative extension recipe, then you're going to actually need to submit that recipe to a commercial lab to test that that product has been adequately acidified and therefore safe. So there's things like that, that you have to think about ahead of time, depending upon what you're going to sell just to make sure that that it's going to be safe. You know, as somebody who buys food at stands whenever I can, because I love food, you know, it's like fun to try something different. And I don't think I've really given it enough thought about the safety behind it. Now, I do kind of aim for things that I think might be lower risk, possibly. But still, you know, it seems like while it might make it harder for somebody to get started, and of course, it's, you know, if you're starting out, you might feel like, oh, now I got to take a class. From a consumer point of view, this is pretty good for us, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when we buy products, you know, like you said, you don't really think about anything in terms of like how it's made or or maybe, you know, where it's made even, right? Like you just assume that it's safe. And that's the way it should be. It should be safe. You know, what you buy should be a safe product. And from the consumer point of view, it's just this assumption that you're buying safe food. And so 
it's going to be very important, of course, for the producer, for the cottage food operator to make sure that they are knowledgeable enough to sell safe food. And so that's really, really important because obviously the onus is on them, right? Like to, to make sure that what they're selling is going to be safe. And I think they have a lot to lose if they make someone sick, you know, right. not just a financial side, but just losing the reputation. Right. And so it's really important for the producer to make sure that, yeah, they are taking all these proper steps to make sure that they are selling safe food. I know that when I teach to the money mentors, volunteers, or to others, or even in my own life, I realized that the way I grew up handling money might have made sense to me. I might have grown up thinking, well, that's the way you do it, right? And that's the way it'll work for everybody. But over time, I've realized there's more than what happened in my household. Like it's good that I've had courses, that I've learned things that makes it me easier for me to manage my money and to do it in an effective way, especially when the economy is not good or something. I'm wondering like for people, when you teach with them and things, do they kind of come in with the attitude like, you know, well, this is the way I've always done it and it's worked and nobody's got sick as far as I know. And, you know, is there more to learn really? Does that come up for you? Oh, I'm laughing because yes. <laughs> like I'm thinking about all of these kind of questions that have come to my way that is like, well, you know, oh, I've, I've always canned this way and I've never put it in a boiling water bath canner. What do you mean I have to process it in a boiling water bath canner? No one has ever gotten sick. This is how my grandmother has done it. This exactly. is how my great grandmother has done it, right? Like, so yeah, absolutely. We hear that a lot and, you know, I get it. You know, you kind of just think that this is the way that it's done because that's the way that you were taught. And I get that. But you know, the same thing and, and kind of what I try to tell people too, is that, you know, we have learned so much, the science of things, right? We have learned so much over the, the years since your grandmother has canned, for instance. And so that's important, you know, as we learn more, we understand more, we know now some of the things that were riskier and maybe just maybe you didn't get sick, but there is that risk. And do you really want to take that? risk. That's the main thing. And especially when we do talk about canning, where we're canning some really you know, risky items, certainly your vegetables and things like that, where that can just not only make people sick, you know, you can kill someone with, right, with right. that. And, and that's dangerous, obviously. And so we want to make sure, of course, that we're really teaching those that even though they have canned for years, and they would consider themselves expert canners, we need to, of course, make sure that they understand that, well, you know, here's the research, right? Here's the science, here's the safety side of things. And this is really what you need to follow because you're not just now serving this to your family. You're serving this, you know, to the whole public. Right. Uh, and, and that's, you know, really important, of course, to make sure that they understand that. Yeah, I think that's one of those things that, you know, when we've done something in our daily life and then you try to move it into a, a business mode, you really do have to sort of step back and think, is this the most evidence-based, research-based way to do it? Is this going to follow regulations? Is it following science? And yet still keep that creative process, keep the piece in there that you wanted to have in there as well. It's even the the simple thing of, whoops, I dropped a, a piece of bread on the floor and now I'm going to pick it up and use it. <laughs> you know, like, okay, you don't do that, right? The, like The five second do do? rule doesn't work for us, right? <laughs> the five second rule doesn't work. But you know, in your home kitchen, you do these things and well now, yeah, you're still in your home kitchen 
right? But you're, you're making food for the public. And so you should be following the food safety side of things that businesses like restaurants have to follow. So you have to kind of change those mindset. I think, you know, when you're, when you're preparing food for others. Absolutely. So we kind of looked at this, I think, from like the the consumer point of view of like, why is this law help us? But, you know, how does the cottage food law benefit the producer, the person cooking and preparing all the food and owning that business? Sure. Well, you know, prior to the law being enacted, anyone who wanted to sell any of their homemade food products, they would have to actually get a licensed commercial kitchen. So they would have to either rent one or they would have to build one. And as you can imagine, that is really, really expensive. So, you know, the cottage food law was really created with this intent of, you know, supporting this kind of growth of small businesses. And this allows them to make their products actually in their home kitchens. And so, you know, I think when we think about the cottage food producer and we think about, you know, you're probably not going to just all of a sudden put in a ton of money and want to just go big all of a sudden, right? You're going to kind of want to test out the product first, you know, see if it's something that people want and people like, right? And so I think this law really provides food entrepreneurs with this kind of opportunity to start small, to test their products and, you know, to grow kind of their, their solid customer base before really deciding whether or not they want to scale up and then build a commercial kitchen or rent a commercial kitchen and put their products kind on the shelves of retail stores. Because right now with cottage food, you can't sell to a third-party business. You can't put it on the shelves of the grocery stores. You know, cottage food sells it directly to the consumer. And so if you want to sell it in a grocery store, then you're going to have to get to a commercial kitchen. It's not cottage food any longer. But again, that's big, right? So start small. This is what this law allows you to do and kind of build up. I think too, just kind of thinking about this also from that self-employed business perspective, I know it can be a big transition to go from, okay, I know how to produce this food or this craft and people want it and I want to sell it, but I'm on a crochet group on Facebook. And this morning's question as I was scrolling through was, how much should I charge for this? And there was a long discussion about, you know, are you charging for materials? Are you charging for time? Are you selling at the price that the demand will pay for it? And in what communities and what what venues will you find different prices and why? I mean, it was really actually kind of an interesting thread for me, you know, as a family economist to be reading. And I think if you're starting something like Cottage Foods, as you mentioned, starting a little bit small, gives you a chance to kind of catch up on that business part too. Because if you're self-employed, that's a real important feature is to think through what are your costs? What are you putting into this product in order to get some money out of it, not lose money on it? So I think taking the time to learn about things like any insurance coverage you might need, record keeping, and then of course taxes, right? You're making money, even though it doesn't maybe feel to you like a real job when you first start because it's on the side, you're still going to have to pay taxes. And so that's another whole piece to get figured out. And I would just really suggest for anybody looking at this, go straight to the irs.gov to, you know, investigate that. They have a really good section on small business, self-employment, individual taxes that kind of guide you through. And we'll put that URL in the notes so that I don't have to read this very long URL out loud to you. But, you know, taking the time to get all those things in place, probably kind of nice just to be able to start out a little slower and then build up as it, it gets more comfortable. 
Absolutely. So. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because all of that is really out of my wheelhouse and that is you. And so I'm really <laughs> glad that you mentioned that because I do think that there's a lot of questions that come into just the business side of things that really need to be kind of worked out. There is, and, and as you mentioned, Facebook, for those of you who are looking to maybe start a cottage food business, there's a cottage food Facebook group in Illinois. So Illinois cottage food Facebook group. And I'm a part of this and I look at their feeds and most all of the questions I feel like are really the business side of things you know, like, Hey, you know, what, what kind of insurance coverage do I need to have? And, you know, taxes and all these questions. So, you know, a lot of people do have those questions and, and really it's good to kind of reach out to others too, and kind of see, you know, what are others doing? Yeah. Excellent point. So, you know, I was kind of also thinking about this when we started talking about doing cottage food and thinking, does this tie into the like sort of local foods economy that I see been happening for a few years, obviously, but seems to be growing, not going away, contrary to what I remember some people saying a few years ago. So uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's not going away. It's, <laughs> it's growing for sure. There's there's just a, this large sector of consumers that really is demanding local food. And, and so this kind of local food movement that you, you've talked about, I think it's been growing for at least a decade. But during the pandemic, right, this is when we've really seen kind of this greater uptick, I think, of, you know, people who have an interest in gardening or, you know, growing their own foods preserving their own foods, as well as just even buying directly from local farmers or local ranchers. I mean, even myself, I jumped in on the, the bandwagon here. Last year, I actually joined a CSA. Mm -hmm. uh, CSA is that community supported agriculture. And so that's where, you know, I basically gave money to a local farmer so that they give me a box of their, you know, produce every week. And it was wonderful, you know, it's yeah. wonderful. And so I think that, yes, this whole cottage food business, it's kind of the same thing, right? You're supporting the cottage food, this local business, it's keeping more money in the community, it's strengthening our local food systems, all the while it's giving kind of the consumer what they want. And that's really um, just creating opportunities for the cottage food producer and the consumer to also just really connect with each other. I think that's what I love about it is that, right, right. you know, you get to know your local farmer, you get to know your cottage food producer, and that's not something you get buying your food at the grocery store. You know, right. you don't get that. So so true. And then you also save on all those transportation costs because we're not shipping food halfway across the world or the country. And I also have a CSA just because I, I love to have local foods myself. And you get to learn what grows here, which, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes if I go back to California to visit family, I'm like, oh, well, we don't get that in our CSA box. But it is, I think, kind of fun to, to get to try new vegetables that maybe I didn't grow up with or things that, that have just evolved over time. Absolutely. It is fun because, you know, it, it's one of those things I probably wouldn't have bought that otherwise. Right. And, and exactly. so, yeah, it forced me to, to try it and to think about how can I use it. And that's just an awesome thing. So yeah, so many good benefits. Right. So, so I think this cottage food is clearly going to be, you know, wrapping up in that, I would guess, and that whole movement. And so having this kind of information available through Illinois Extension is just such a great service. So just to kind of keep going on this thought a little bit more, I'm still thinking about buying food from other people. And, you know, my awareness has gone up thinking about the safety piece. So 
you know, if I see a, a table at a farmer's market, is there something I should check for that would tell me that, or maybe not at a farmer's market, which tends to be kind of more organized perhaps, but someplace else where I see a food table, is there something I could check for as a consumer that would let me know that, that they're following the cottage food law or they're aware of yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right, right. So all cottage food producers, you know, they're going to have to label their products and on that label is a statement. And the statement also has to be like a sign at the point of sale. So there'll, there'll be a sign, they'll also be on the label. And it will basically say that this product, you know, was produced in a home kitchen, it's not inspected by the health department, and it can also process common food allergens. So that that statement has to be on every product. And so, you know, as the kind of the language indicates, yeah, first of all, the health department is not going to come and inspect the cottage food operator's home kitchen. And unless there's a consumer complaint mm-hmm. or if if there's some kind of reason to believe that there is, you know, some kind of imminent health hazard that's existing. So really, like I said, it's it's the cottage food producer. It's on them to make sure that they're selling safe food. But for the consumer, you're just going to be looking for that label and, and look to make sure that it has that on there. And then you'll know, oh, this is cottage food. This is something that's produced in that home kitchen. Okay. So that gives me that heads up so I can think about, you know, depending on my own food preferences or if I have allergies or things like that, what level of risk do I want to take or not take depending on my own background? Will I find ingredients listed on those products? Sometimes you're looking for something specific or not something in it. Right, right, exactly. And so you will find ingredients. There's basically a number of things that the cottage food producer will have to list on every label. And that does include ingredients. And, you know, for those, you've mentioned like, you know, food allergies. What if I have a food allergy? Well, the nice thing is, is that yes, you'll be able to see if that the allergen is listed, but at the same time, right? Like, okay, yes, They may not use, for instance, nuts in their product, but if you've got a severe nut allergy, I would probably say it's still probably not a good idea to buy this product that even doesn't contain nuts. And that is because of just like what we said, that this is produced in a home kitchen, that it may not be a nut-free kitchen, right? They might be using nuts in their own home. And so there is that possibility of this kind of cross-contact that can still occur. So you still have to have that understanding and, and maybe that little kind of caution if you do have, you know, any kind of severe nut nut allergies or any other kind of allergy. And that makes sense. I mean, I know people that have had allergies and they're very careful, like at a buffet or anything else like that, where there could be transfer that wouldn't be obvious and not intentional even, but just could happen depending on that. Well, this has been really great, Jenna, because I feel like I've learned so much about the cottage food industry and just thinking about how this all plays out in our local economy. You know, I think I'm going to be much more aware as I'm going around even my own community. And and I know you've been working in this area for a while. So how did you get involved and what other projects related to this have you been working on? Yeah, yeah. So this has been a lot of fun, you know, certainly as I've been involved with cottage food since it really kind of started out back in in 2012. We really just took this law and said, wow, this is something that we need to get involved with because obviously there's some food safety concerns. You know, people are are producing this in their home kitchen. So some colleagues and I, we worked on, you know, putting together some face-to-face programs. And then we said, you know what, we need a website. Let's get this information out there. So we developed a website got that going. And then of course, the law has been amended like three or four times. (laughs) So we are constantly (laughs) updating the website, making sure that it is all up to date. But you know, here recently, I think it was in uh, 2000. 
21, the Illinois Stewardship Alliance, and they are basically the driving force behind the law. And they asked me to join them along with representatives from the local health department, Illinois Department of Public Health, and just really many others kind of around the table to help them write the latest amendment to the law. And that was so interesting. I I never really had been on kind of the policy side of things. And so that was such a cool thing to be able to help write this law. And Cooperative Extension, as you know, we have always kind of been known, right, as the local food preservation experts. And so, you know, I took it as that's my duty to help make sure that they have the proper language around home canning and that they understand how to preserve safely. And so we wanted to make sure that that was all, you know, incorporated into the law. So that was really, really interesting. A lot of cool work that was done there. And we really kind of took that and kind of also built in to a couple of different subgroups where I worked on making sure that there was a food safety plan for producers to submit. And like if they are selling some of those acidified or fermented foods, which are higher risk, I helped to develop this plan that they have to submit to make sure that it's safe. I also worked on kind of like a home certification checklist that they have to go through and say, okay, yeah, this is safe. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. You know, so that was also a lot of work as well. And then here recently, we just kind of wrapped up our cottage food operator online course. And so now you can actually take this course that we developed. It's all online. It's self-paced. And it really helps you kind of understand just the law because the law is murky. Most laws sure, are murky. Sure, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's not so fun it's to hard read to interpret. Law. Yeah, hard to interpret. And so we've kind of interpreted it for you. And so you can take this course, learn more about the law, as well as just learn about the food safety practices that you also need to know. So we finished that and it is out there and ready for you to take. So we're really excited to have that available. That is so exciting. I love it when we have an extension project that sort of wraps around, right? You know, like you get to do some policy part, you get to do some direct education, and then you also get to like take it further, you know, develop something people can use outside our direct communities, but still in Illinois. And that's where I feel like extension really has a unique place to allow for us to do that and to provide that service to our communities. So I I love my job. (laughs) Like I love my job because because of that, you know, you get to do all of these cool things. And so, yeah, it's great. Yeah. So that's really fabulous. And it's wonderful to have um, your expertise going into this. So I know that it makes a big difference. Yeah, I just, I'm so excited for cottage food. I'm excited for people to learn about it because I don't think that a lot of people do know about it, yet they probably have seen it, right? Like you may have seen it, but you didn't really kind of register that, oh, this is cottage food. This is being prepared in a home kitchen. And oh, maybe this is something I can do, right? Right. So I think it's just so awesome to talk about it. And I'm so glad that you invited me on this podcast, Kathy, because it's just wonderful to get this information out there so that people know a little bit more about it. And like you said, as, as a consumer and you're kind of going around in your farmer's market, you're going to have like this knowledge now that like, oh yeah. Please. I'm going to walk around and look for those signs. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. They should be out there. And I think also just one of the roles that we have is, as consumer economists is to help people think about ways to supplement income, you know, to have more dollars to spend. And, you know, sometimes we end up getting focused on that cutting back on spending. But personally, I think increasing your income is a really powerful piece of balancing that equation. And so taking a look 
look at things like self-employment or, you know, different ways that you can do that, I think it's really important. At the same time, reminding people that there are regulations and practices that we have to learn about before we get too far into anything to make sure it's going to be a good fit for ourselves. So, well, thank you so much, Jenna, for coming on. And we'll put some notes in when we post the podcast so that you can find the Cottage Food website. But if you want to find it right away, probably just Google University of Illinois Cottage Foods and it should pop right up for you. And that'll find all those great resources that Jenna was talking about. So have a great day. Thanks for listening to Family Financial Feuds. If you'd like to learn more about the educators, Extension in Illinois, or just personal finance in general, you can check us out on the web at www.retirewell.illinois.edu.